time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics, the biggest question marks, answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash. Okay, folks, after a little hiatus, we are back and back with a flurry on a Thursday here just before the Christmas holiday. Welcome into the Critical Eye podcast. Isaac Petcast, Joe Von Johnson, Joe Lineski, as always, with you as we are getting set for another week in the NFL season. Just three games left to go for some, four to go for others. What a whirlwind this week has been. And we hope you're excited to hear all of the chaos with us. Gentlemen, I want to start with this, and then we're, we're going to get to the COVID situations in a minute. We, of course, have a lot to talk about with playoff implications. We know that all three of these local teams are right now on the brink, if not totally falling off the ship. But I want to start with this. You know, when you were in high school, whenever you were in high school, you always thought that life was hard. Right. Oh, I, I got I got a test on Monday. My my drama class meets on Wednesday afternoons, basketball practice after school every day. And, and oh, by the way, there's a group of friends that wants to hang out and get some classwork done on Friday. I just have no time. Then you graduate from high school and you get to college and you get all your difficult tests and your classwork hours and the chaos of having to sprint around campus. And you realize, you know what? Maybe high school wasn't that terrible. Maybe it was a little bit easier than I thought. I, you know, I can conquer the high school world, but college isn't the case. Then you get done with college and you think to yourself, man, I have just accomplished everything there is to accomplish. The real world's mine. How easy is this going to be? I don't have to worry about classes. I don't have to worry about tests, getting up early. And then the bills come. And then sometime after your house payment comes. And then if you have kids, oh, you have to take care of them too. And you have no time for yourself. Now, the real world is a little different than football, but I think it serves the same purpose, gentlemen. When the rumors swirled around during the summer of Urban Meyer coming to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I never liked the move. All the college coaches that have had success in the NFL have had to have one of two things, time and patience, or they've had to have some sort of talent. Cliff Kingsbury gets Kyler Murray and a decent offensive unit in his first couple of years. It's taken him some time to figure it out right now. Matt rule, if not for the scarcity of quarterback, he's got the defense somewhat figured out, but there's no guarantee on him. So the expectation for urban Meyer to come in to the Jacksonville Jaguars with an unproven rookie quarterback, a terrible offensive line, not great talent on the wide receiving ends and a horrific defense. This was bound to fail. And I want to start with you, Jovan, on this, because I think there's an issue that coaches are expected when they come to the NFL from college to succeed immediately. And I don't know if that's the case. I don't think this Jacksonville Urban Meyer thing was ever destined to be successful. And now after 13 games, he's fired. You can't, in my opinion, just go from the college to the pro game and have success. I think it's it's a little mixture of having the ability to relate to the players and win the locker room first before you have instant success. A lot of coaches that are, are, are guys that come from the college ranks, they have great relationships with the players that they're coaching at the pro level, because at the end of the day, the pros 
they make more than the, than the football coach. In college, not so much. You know, college players don't get paid while they do now with the NIL, but, you know, their coaches make more than them, so they have to respect everything that they say and do because they pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarship money, and they can take that away. But in the pros, those guys, the general managers, are going to back the players more than they're going to back the coach because the players are what sell tickets. They are the ones that go out there and get it done. And the Urban Meyer situation, I think it didn't work for both sides for, for multiple reasons. For one, you know, when Urban came to the Jacksonville Jaguars, he was one of the most successful college coaches around. Um, but in, in the pros, you got to deal with egos. You got to deal with guys making money. And, you know, when he came in, he was it started out as a circus with the whole Chris Doyle thing. And I love Chris Doyle. He was my strength and conditioning coach at Iowa. But with all the attention surrounding him with the the debacle at Iowa and the situation there you know they started out in the media the Jacksonville Jaguars Urban Meyer hiring Chris Doyle oh that didn't work and then you know it just kind of spiraled as a downhill uh thing with with Meyer and you know he's in the media way too much he was in the media after a loss uh in the club with a female in the media now for kicking one of his players, you know, it, it's just a, a whirlwind of, of being in the media and, and that type of attention will get you out of a job quicker than they'll have you uh, having success. And it, it just ain't, it didn't work out in Jacksonville for Urban Meyer. I think a lot of it, and I defending Urban Meyer makes me want to go take a shower, but I, I think a lot of it is a, is a predetermined outcome. Um, and I, I believe that in this instance, this was, I don't want to say staged. Uh, I think that a lot of this were blocks to try to unring the bell. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I understand the, the culture of an NFL team, but I've been around the media long enough to know that when somebody has a target on their back, it's very easy to not have said target removed. Uh, I almost think I, the, the timing of this kicker, like you're a grown up, bro. Like this isn't like the 13 year old at the, at the local Y you're a grown up. I mean, you have an agent, you have, uh, you know, the NFL players association, you've got lots of ways to, to come out instantaneously. Uh, why now? Again, I don't know. I'm not saying I don't believe it, but I think this dismissal of Urban Meyer, and I'm not, again, I am not defending him. I'm going to have to take another shower, but the, the timing of this is all too interesting. I, I think that the one thing that we know with the NFL, it is a closed door group. Um, I mean, you, you figure, and again, I'm not defending John Gruden, but you search through 650,000 emails and that's the only email you find you find. That's the only damning email you find. I mean, my God, uh, Ron Rivera's uh, strength coach or athletic trainer, or whatever, is literally selling drugs. And the email about John Gruden is what you find. I, I think that the NFL and its media partners do a very good job of getting the outcome that they want and the NFL never falls victim to said outcome. You know, I think the, the thing about this that I'm frustrated with is if you're, 
if you're Urban Meyer, regardless of whether these allegations are true or not, the dramatic display of failed leadership that you see, the, even if Josh Lambeau or these other players' accusations are false, they made these accusations because they knew they could get traction, because they know inside the locker room that Urban Meyer is a failed coach who doesn't have the prowess that other coaches does do. If you have an accusation of an accusation like this is made against a Mike Tomlin or a Sean Payton, or when he was the coach before retirement, Tony Dungy things, the, these kind of accusations don't just come against any coach. And I think that's the problem. And I think that to me, guys, is the problem. One of the problems with the NFL, and, and we see it with other local teams too, right? Kevin Stefanski, he hasn't been with Cleveland very long. And already there was criticism coming from Cleveland that is he the future for head coaches? We don't give coaches enough time to be able to develop. But at the same time, as a head coach, you have to gain control and understand your situation. And I think that there is becoming, I mean, I did a piece on this a couple of weeks ago of losing the locker room, why it's such a tumultuous environment to coach in the NFL and anywhere anymore. Guys, are we getting to a point where players are essentially going to be able to, even if it's not necessarily true factual information, you think they can potentially dictate their way out of a coach? I mean, I know that's happened before, but I think we're getting even more into that now where who knows if the allegations are true, but they sure as heck had a big part to play with Myers firing. Well, I, I think that the interesting thing is, is that you look at, and again, the, you know, the NFL is, is a business and it's, it's all about partnerships. And, you know, the same reason that, you know, you go to the establishment and the guy at the end of the bar is screaming, oh, it's fixed, it's fixed. You know, the quarterback's on the take. It's not real. Like the, the amount of money that they would make by fixing a game is, you know, minute in comparison to the amount of money they would lose if we found out that games were in fact fixed. Like it wouldn't be, the return on investment would not be strong enough. So I think you look at when the, the brigade decides <clears throat> when, you know, Adam Schefter is not a journalist. He's a plant. Um, when you look at, you know, and again, I, there's a lot of Pittsburgh media that I don't like, but how come the Pittsburgh media or the Browns media or the Bills media never break a story? You know, they are boots on the ground 24-7. But Scheffner or Ian Rappaport or, you know, Albert Greer, the dudes that shouldn't be the ones that are, you know, on the know are the ones that are always on the know. You know, the teams work in conjunction with the media. So, again, I'm not saying it's fixed, but it's not a level playing field. Like, you know, you're not going to, to break a story that the NFL doesn't want you to break. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't care for those guys. One, one hundred percent backing on that, Joe. I think those guys are really, really a part of the media that you know people could care less about. You know, they they rank all these players and and they they organize drafts and you know they they put all these guys in position to to be successful. And then when those guys fail, they're looking at the teams like, well, why did you draft them? You didn't do your research and blah blah blah. Well, they listen to Ian Rappaport and. And all these guys that are ranking these guys and putting these guys, you know, on a pedestal and saying that they're this and they're that instead of actually, you know, going and, and saying, well, uh, this guy might not fit in what we do. 
But for coaches to have instant success, it's like being a, a biology professor. You know, some coaches are really good at putting formulas together to get the matchups that they want. And, you know, but it's a completely different thing when you have to relate to those students that you're teaching and have them understand what you're teaching them and be able to, to you know, get them to do things outside of, you know, what they're comfortable with, being outside of their comfort zone and, you know, adjusting to structure and having discipline and understanding that you're creating a culture of winning. That is something completely different than, than putting X's and O's together. And Urban Meyer is really good at putting X's and O's together, but he's not very good at relating to the players and building relationships. And that that's become very evident because his leadership qualities have lacked and he hasn't won the locker room, which is what you have to do instantly when you come into an NFL locker room. And, and he struggled very mightily with that. And so the Jaguars now look for their new head coach as turmoil spoils in Jacksonville. I mean, just talk about uh, an underestimated talent level that Urban Meyer had that he could not use, and he is gone. So the Jags are 2-11. and 11, They're out. I want to shift to this here on the Critical Eye podcast. Guys, let's go to the local teams here. We haven't really done a podcast since all of the chaos came out with COVID-19 and the games that happened last week. We're going to play a game today. <laughs> We're going to play a game. And the question that I have for this game is, who is the favorite in the AFC North? When you look at the division, when you look at the way that these teams are playing, if division winners didn't automatically get playoff berths, I'm not sure any of these teams would be playoff teams. So here's the question I pose today. At the end of the season to both of you, who wins the AFC North? And is there any other team in the North that gets a playoff spot? I'll tell you what, it's not looking too good at this point, guys. No, um, I mean... <clears throat> Well, I don't even know at this. I'm having trouble keeping score as to who's even active for the Browns this week. Uh, you, you talk about a, a team with with turmoil. The, the the Steelers are a dumpster fire. I know it's really easy to point the finger at Chase Claypool, but how about don't fall behind twenty nine nothing? They did it with the Chargers. They did it with the, the Seahawks. Um, <clears throat> don't fall behind. Don't celebrate. You know, like you just won the Super Bowl. When you know you're losing 29 to seven after an interception, the Ravens are awful. Uh, I mean, awful, uh, and injuries are adding to that. I'm I'm gonna say the Bengals, but I'm gonna say the Bengals are gonna win the division for what's wrong with everybody else, not for how good they are. And boy, that'd be really something if one of those other three teams did in fact make the playoffs. Um, I don't know how they would. I don't think any of them deserve it. But, you know, the standings are what the standings are, and, and they might. But, no, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bengals, and it has more to do with everybody else than it does the Bengals. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think that in the AFC North, uh, with the, the COVID situation, the Browns really are going to take a major hit um, come this Saturday because they have a really tough game, and that's going to put them another game behind because I'm projecting that they're going to lose. Um, unless they're able to go out and run the ball a hundred times like the Patriots did against the Bills and still win the game, um, the Bengals I think are are the, have the most potential to win the conference, but I think that all relies on whether Lamar Jackson is able to come out and play uh, this week and going forward, and is he is he healthy enough to be effective 
uh, using his legs and and being able to stand in the pocket and throw. Um, that's still yet to be seen on the whole the whole season. Um, the Steelers, I think they're out. I, I just don't have any faith in them. You know, you you can play behind and try to come back all you want to make it look good, but still lose games. But you know, at at this point, I think they're just they're not the team that everyone expected them to be um, going into the season. And Ben Roethlisberger is now needs to retire, and they need to start looking to the future and see what they have and the other two quarterbacks that back him up. But I think the Bengals have the most promise, but I think that relies on whether Lamar Jackson can play and be healthy enough to, to go out there and be effective. You know, I've got the Bengals too, and I want to point a stat that's been that, that's staggering to me when I look at this division standings. When you look at net points, so points you've scored compared to points that you've given up, Cincinnati – is the highest net point team in the AFC North. 61 total. They've scored more points than Baltimore. They've given up fewer points than Pittsburgh and Cleveland. And for Cincinnati, you look at their schedule. It's not necessarily a cakewalk, but your road games are Denver and Cleveland. By the way, Cincinnati's only lost two games on the road. Then you get Baltimore and Kansas City at home. Listen, this team has the chance to make a run. Here's my problem with the Steelers and the Browns. And, and we look at the Browns. Obviously, you know the starters that they're missing. They're missing 11 of them. Baker Mayfield, of course, the biggest one that was put on the COVID list yesterday, although I don't think that uh, Case Keenum is that bad of a competent backup as we've been talking about. You know, the frustration that I have with the Browns and the Steelers specifically, and you look at how damning this season has been for both of them. When we came into the year and we tried to identify the strengths of this, these two teams, the strengths that were of Cleveland and Pittsburgh was the Browns running game in the Steelers defense. Guys, as much as I want to say that injuries have played a part and COVID have played a part in these two teams, lackluster years, how can you not, how can you not put at least some of the blame here on coaching. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's almost, you know, as I'm sitting here saying this, it's almost sad to watch both Cleveland and Pittsburgh have the kind of failures that they've had and their strengths aren't their strengths. I watched Ben Roethlisberger last week have to throw for 10,000 yards just to get his team back into the game. The defense couldn't make any plays. Cleveland's running game, virtually non-existent in the last five weeks, really ever since Kareem Hunt was injured earlier in the season. I mean, what do you what do you have to do? And I think that's the frustrating thing for these two teams is right now, the Browns and Steelers are at a point right now where they're, they don't have an identity. And that's the issue that I have. Cincinnati at least has an identity. They play good defense. They run the ball with Joe Mixon. Can we name the identity for the Browns and Steelers? I think they've lost it. Well, I, I think that you look at the, the Steelers and the Browns through a different lens. Uh, I think that the criticism – and the result might be the same, Joe Vaughn, really, when you think about it. But I think if you look at the, the, the dysfunction of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you, you look at you know maybe a, a bad analogy, but that's sort of my forte, bad analogies and poor segues. But you look at, like, the, the neighbors down the street and, you know, after 23 years, they get divorced. Well, the kids have moved out and, you know, they're sort of reminded that maybe they got married because it was convenient. They never really loved one another. 
and you know that you had the kid you, you, and that's why you got married and i think if you look at the steelers and roethlisberger and tomlin and you can't you can't look at that divorce and be like ha that's why you know there's like just so many different levels of dysfunction that you got to say to yourself you know what it's just not it's not fixable it's not worth it it's time it's time to to break it up and, and just go our separate ways. And I just think that, you know, you look at the, the constant enabling of Ben Roethlisberger to repeatedly throw offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator under the bus and blame the offensive coordinator. And, and Mike Tomlin sort of seems to be part of it. And you, you wonder why there's a new offensive coordinator all the time. Is Tomlin the problem? Is Ben the problem? Are they both the problem? I think that would be the absolute worst job in football to be Ben Roethlisberger's offensive coordinator. Then you look at the Browns, you got to ask yourself what happened you know, this time last year. And, you know, maybe they are in it, you know, sometimes it's a Super Bowl hangover, but let's be honest, maybe the Browns, that is their hangover. But, but yeah, I mean, you make a good point, Joe. And, and I mean, I, I think the issue, the problem that I have again with, with Cleveland is the expectations for this team. And the same with Pittsburgh. I mean, look, Ben hasn't necessarily been the problem, but you have to get to a point now where there is a dramatic power difference between Pittsburgh, Cleveland, coach, quarterback, whatever. When you don't have an identity, you're not successful. And I think that's the problem these two teams are running into, Jovan. I think with the Browns, you know, I think their expectation, I think their ceiling was extremely high. Um, I think just the, the relationship between quarterback and coach and play calling um, and then placing the blame on everybody else instead of looking in the mirror is their biggest issue. Knowing that their identity is running the football, um, you know, they got away from that for a, for a, a point, but, you know, they, they can get back on track with that, but they, they have to have everybody readily accessible to them. Uh, instead of worrying about and pointing the finger at Odell Beckham, Maybe they should have looked in the mirror and seen that, you know, their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, wasn't getting it done uh, in the passing game because that's where they lacked the most is in the passing game. The running game was effective. The defense didn't meet the standard that everybody expected, especially with the capital that they placed um, on that side of the ball and the draft picks that they made. But with the Steelers, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, I think he's been a problem in Pittsburgh even way back when, when they were winning Super Bowls and his inability to build relationships with his teammates. Um, but people don't want to, they don't want to hear that because all they saw was that they were winning, but they weren't winning necessarily because of Ben Roethlisberger. They were winning because they played great defense. They were able to run the ball. Their offensive line was really stout. They had really good receivers and they had a leader in the receiving room uh, that could tell people to be quiet and do your job And Hans Ward. So now they don't have that. They have guys that want to do TikToks all day and put things on social media and talk about, look at me. And, you know, they want to celebrate after first downs when they only got 30 seconds left in the game and they try to get the ball to the ref and get a, a playoff so they could score in a game that they're losing in. They, don't, they have a lot of me guys instead of a lot of we guys. And I think that's the reason that the Steelers are where they are and they're starting to lose. Uh, games because of injuries and COVID and all the different things and they don't have uh, quality enough backups that they can rely on uh, when guys go down and that's that's where they struggle the most 
uh, guys, I want to get to the Bills in a second, but this is another part of this, and I think we have to touch on this because it's important. You know, there's been a lot of talk last couple of days with the new COVID cases coming out, the NFL having its largest three-day COVID case span this entire season, 85 cases in the past 72 hours. Who knows how many more will come today? There's a big concern about what will come down at the end of the regular season playoffs. Will there be more restrictions and implications? I just have to say this, and I kind of want to go to a point that, that Joe's made kind of over and over on this show. The NFL is clearly a business, and it also is a business that understands the calamity of this season. I don't see professional football going back to the same restrictions that they had last year. You talk about revenue loss. You talk about the excitement essentially going away for the season. I understand these COVID cases are important and they're troubling for the league, but I don't see the league shutting down or at least calming their operations, getting rid of fans, forcing virtual meetings, unless there's a catastrophe. What say you guys? Is, is COVID going to be a factor down the stretch here this season, or is this more of a, we're going to monitor it, and then after the Super Bowl, we'll figure something out? I, I think they're they're really tiptoeing through the tulips here. Um, I think, you know, they've, <clears throat> they've got, they've put themselves uh, aligned with this vaccination effort. And, you know, I think the reason you're not hearing people screaming from the hilltops is because of the 85 players or whatever that have tested positive, the overwhelming majority are in fact vaccinated. Um, I don't, I don't know what they do. Because, you know, everybody says get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. You know, I'm vaccinated, not that it's anybody's business, but being vaccinated doesn't, doesn't prevent you from getting and or spreading. Um, but we were told all along, you know, just get vaccinated and everything will be fine. Um, the league actually did that. Remember the draft that was sponsored by the vaccine. I don't know where, I don't know where they go because, you know, sometimes the NFL puts themselves into this corner where, you know, they, they beat on a drum so loudly, but then at the end of the day, you know, it, it's really hard to have breast cancer awareness month when you're charging the American cancer society X amount of dollars to allow your players to wear pink cleats. What would they get on these social, social justice parades that they're doing for profit. So they position themselves in this, you know, mandate world, but at the end of the day, like they give a damn about a vaccine or a mandate, you know, they're worried about the bottom line. And, you know, what, what, is the, what is the big picture, Jovan, when, you know, again, they've set these rules that these guys are following, but now they're, they're testing positive and they've got their protocols. And what do they do? Because then their product runs the risk. I mean, what are they, they going to do? What's the hard line they're going to draw? Oh, by the way, the Browns are missed the playoffs because, well, they've had too many guys test positive and we've done and followed all of your rules. The reason I know this is, is look at what happened with Aaron Rodgers. When he tested positive and, you know, his, he was outed immediately. Antonio Brown and his fake vaccine card outed immediately. I have a, I have a funny feeling they are going to be in, you know, between the rock and the hard place here when it comes to their product and the, and the barrage of messaging that they've used or been used to deliver when it comes to the vaccine. Yeah, the, the, this vaccine uh, mandate has has been something that they've been 
urging people to follow, but, you know, the guys that aren't vaccinated, you know, they, they have the same, they run the same risk as the guys that are vaccinated of getting the disease and spreading it. So, um, you know, what are the, what do they really want to happen or see happen? Because at the end of the day, they're, they're trying to make it through this season and not have the focus be on them. They, Roger Goodell stood in front of the media and said, oh, well, we want our guys to be vaccinated. Um, you know, we added larger practice rosters so that people could have more uh, of, a, of a pick of the litter, so to speak, to, to be able to go out and compete when, when the catastrophe does happen. Um, we added another game, blah, 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 blah. But in all, all in all, you know, it's basically to put players on the field so that they can make money and that's all they really care about. And they're going to continue to go out there and, you know, guys are going to test positive and they're going to just keep running them out there to, to keep the fans happy and keep making money. And that's what it all boils down to in the NFL is their ability to make capital off of the product on the field. And if fans are going to show up to keep paying for tickets to go to games, regardless of the COVID situations, then they're going to go to, they're going to go to games. And, and then the playoffs is going to come down to who, who is able to not test positive in the playoffs to have their star players readily accessible so that they can go make a run at the championship. Speaking of making a run, as we shift now to the team that I think we need to close with, because I have a big problem with the Buffalo Bills, and I think everyone should be too. Remember last year when Buffalo went on their run, went all the way to the postseason and nearly got to the Super Bowl? Yeah. What was the difference last year compared to this year? Well, when you look at the Bills' schedule, and you look at the one-score games that they had, games decided by seven points or fewer. Miami, 31-28 win. L.A., 35-32 win. Vegas, they beat by seven. New York Jets win by eight. That's 4-0. How about 5-0 when they took down New England, 24-21? Their big loss, Arizona, 6-1. They lost 32-30. But then close wins against Pittsburgh and a close win in the AFC wild card and a close win in the AFC divisional round. This year, they're 0-5. And as much as I want to say that Buffalo has been able to put up points and they've still been able to be in games, we talked about coaching with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. We have consistently on this show, and I think everywhere else, given no criticism to Sean McDermott and company and Brian Dable on the offensive side because of recency bias. We saw what Buffalo was last year. We saw them put up 30-plus points a game with ease. At what point are we going to start criticizing Buffalo coaching? They can't run the ball. They're now a one-dimensional team. And now this team is one loss away from being out of a playoff spot. Is it fair, guys, to finally give some criticism – to the coaches here for a team that can't win the close game. They are 0-5 in one-score games this season. What has changed? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna bounce a question. I'm going to take that question and formulate another question to ask Joe Vaughn because I think he's best suited to answer this. Um, I, I believe – it's funny. I, I was actually thinking about this before we, we started – 
And I, I believe sometimes, you know, you look at it and, and you forget that, you know, you've, you're paying people a lot of money to come up with these plans and to come up with a, a strategy, to come up with a game plan to win games, right? But I think we also forget that we pay people a lot of money to come up with game plans to stop said approach. I think the film is just out on the, on the bills. I don't know what it is, but I think the film is just out there because, you know, remember how good we thought they were last year? I mean, do you realize that they beat the Seahawks and scored 44 points with Zach Moss having a team high 18 yards rushing Singletary rushed for 86 yards in a 24, 21 win over the Patriots on the 1st of November last year. That 86 yards is the highest single-game total individual performance by the Bills. So, Joe Vaughn, I don't think that the Bills are doing anything differently, and I think that's the problem. They literally did what they did last year on the same formula. And remember the outrage with Coca-Cola when they tried to change the recipe. It was disaster. They had to go back to it. I mean, what's the problem here? What what are the Bills doing or not doing differently? Or better, maybe I should say, what are their opponents? What have they picked up? Because it's not that the Bills have done anything differently. I just think their opponents have figured them out. And you know what? What's funny is I did a, a presentation to our team when I was coaching at Defiance College. And the, the label of the presentation was, once it's out, it's out. So meaning that once you put something on social media, once you put it out there, you know, it's out there for everybody to see. Well, there's no difference here with the Buffalo Bills because they've put on film time and time again that they refuse to stick to the running game. Even when they're ahead by two scores, they refuse to run the football. And you can go back and look at all the close games that they've played this year. And, you know, the Steelers game up 10 to zero, about four minutes left in the half, they're still throwing the ball three downs in a row, up 10 nothing, throw the ball, throw the ball. I think it's fair that now we start to criticize Brian Dable and his play calling because it's it's getting out of control. Teams are are really licking their chops when they play the Bills because they know that they're going to throw the ball and throw the ball and throw the ball, and they're going to get the opportunity to get hits on Josh Allen. Now Josh Allen is banged up which is another problem for the Buffalo Bills because now they don't know what the quarter, quarterback situation is going to look like, even though they do have Mitchell Trubisky, who I think they should give them a, a shot uh, with, with Allen being hurt. But, you know, it, it's once it's out, it's out. You put it on film for everybody to see. They know what your identity is. You're not going to run the ball, so we're going to pin our ears back and get after you and get hits on the quarterback as much as possible and force you to have to throw the ball in tight windows. You know, it's like going back to that, you know, being a coach and being able to put guys in position of success with X's and O's. If you can put guys in position of success with X's and O's, then you're going to have a, it's going to be a chess match every week uh, of what you are able to do, but you have to be able to run the football effectively to be able to win games and 86 yards or 80 plus yards in a run game from a running back could do just that. I mean, depending on how how those runs look, you know, if he got four carries for 80 yards and that's all the carries he has in the game, you know, I think uh, in the Steelers game, 
Singletary had about 80-something yards, but he only had like eight carries. And then they refused to give him the ball. I mean, that, that's the part that just irks me to death. You know what's amazing? You know, Isaac, I'm, I'm looking at taking a deeper dive here. You know, last year they were 5-1 and one in one-possession games. Right. So, I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's anything – and maybe this is the problem. I don't think I don't think they're necessarily doing anything differently. I think to Joe Bond's point, though, I, I think somebody's gotten a little bit lazy schematically because the overwhelming difference of a team that went 13 and three last year hasn't changed the recipe, and they're seven and six this year. You know, I think Joe, to your point, and I'm gonna close with this with the last minute we have on the show. I think it's stubbornness. I think we all would agree. I have never seen a team that I can predict more accurately is going to win or lose a game after the first quarter than the Buffalo Bills. Every single game they have played, even if the score doesn't indicate it, has been decided after the first quarter. You look at their wins. Kansas City, they jump out to a gigantic lead. They don't lose it. And then the next week, Tennessee, the Titans get on them early and they can't make the comeback, Buffalo. Another game that they struggled in, the Jacksonville game, the Indianapolis game, they couldn't get the motor going, and you knew right then and there, this team isn't making a comeback. And with New England two weeks ago, and Tampa Bay even the last week as well, this team, if they don't get off to a hot start, they ain't winning the game. It was the case last year with Pittsburgh at the end of the season. It's the case with Buffalo now. And that is going to be a problem as we go down the stretch here. And I think if you're Buffalo – you better buckle up your chin straps because Carolina is not going to walk over and play dead. They're fighting for a playoff spot too. We're going to talk about the Bills and Panthers. We're going to talk about the Steelers Titan. We're going to talk about the Browns and Raiders on Saturday and Sunday. Our podcast is tomorrow, our next episode. Guys, things aren't looking too good for these three teams. We're going to see if any of us think that either of the Bills, Browns, or Steelers can pull off the win on Sunday. New podcast, new episode tomorrow. Enjoy your Thursday. Enjoy your workday. We'll see you all tomorrow afternoon. Have a good one.